Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC, your weekly dose into the ups and downs of the football landscape. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. Joining me as ever, the Rank God, Mr. Sam Ty. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. And our transfer titan, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm excited about this episode, boys, because we have one of our old favourites back on the show. Uh, a man who gave us a lot of discussion points the last time he was on here. Mr. Harry Brooks, head coach of the Royals, returning for another round of players who need a switch in position. Sam, I know you were really excited for this one. I basically told him to do it, begged him to come on, and he graciously accepted the offer. I mean, look, we referenced him so much, uh, and he he ended up in one of our top five episodes of the of the BR Football Ranks era. So uh, we've been waiting to pull the trigger on um, on getting Harry back on to discuss a little bit more of that, and we just figured that this was probably the perfect week. And then after we decided that, guess what happened? Yeah, Frank Lampard got sacked as Chelsea manager. And for those of you who listened to our Monday episode, we dug quite deep into this on Monday. So we're not going to go into the nitty gritty of, of why Frank Lampard got sacked, but it is probably a nice time to throw things forward. As we speak, Thomas Tuchel appears to be on a plane to London to to take up the acceptance of the Chelsea job. And I thought it might be a, a nice time, Sam, to, to look forward as to what Tuchel is going to bring to this dressing room. I mean, it's a good appointment, but by no means a perfect appointment, I think, from, from most perspectives. And thought you might be able to give us a bit of a lowdown as to what we can expect from a Tuchel dressing room. Yeah, I don't think there is a perfect appointment because I think it's a really difficult job. Um, obviously, there's a, there's a wealth of talent and riches that Tuchel walks in to go and manage, and it's the same wealth of talent that Frank Lampard had the luxury of managing. So I'm by no means saying it's, it's a bad job to walk into. But as we talked about on Monday, this team is imbalanced. The squad profile is a bit off. Um, the midfield selection of players, you it's basically very difficult to marry up the perfect attack with the perfectly balanced midfield to support it because they're basically a player short. I did find it quite ironic that in, uh, for example, the athletic did a big big piece on, you know, why Lampard was sacked. And one of the bullet points as to why he'd managed to, you know, rub his bosses up the wrong way was that he consistently requested the signature of Declan Rice. And that apparently annoyed them. Well, it shouldn't have because he's just what this team needed. So I found that a little bit strange and, maybe it points to the fact that this is indeed a very, very difficult job because even when you want something perfectly logical and rational, you can't have it anyway. But Thomas Tuchel walks in and my memories of Tuchel from Dortmund are big emphasis on possession football, strong pressing elements out of a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. Now, Lampard's been playing a 4-3-3 for the last three months or so, so that wouldn't be too different. But I do think there'd be more tactical intricacy and more detailed tactical instructions, particularly in the off-the-ball phase, pressing high. Tucker was very good at coaching that aspect of the game. So I think we'll probably be a bit more intense and a bit more well-directed than maybe Lampard's effort was. Um, the other defining memory of Tuchel from his time at Dortmund was that he absolutely loved Julian Weigel. And once Tuchel had gone to PSG, he basically spent the next two years trying to get Weigel to come to Paris with him. And Dortmund would never let that happen. They never, they always rebuffed the office, even though they weren't even using him themselves. Weigel was like a, a squad player for Dortmund. They didn't want to give him back to Tuchel because I think they knew that if they paired them back up again elsewhere, it could come back to bite them in the long run. So first of all, I expect Weigel to get a phone call because he's over at Benfica and he's not playing that much. But if they don't want to pull the trigger on that, I fear that Chelsea fans that dislike Jorginho are about to see even more of him because Jorginho is very Julian Weigel in terms of a dictating midfielder who could handle the ball quite nicely and dictate the tempo of a game. And that heavy possession element, I think, will have to come through a midfielder like Jorginho because it sure as hell isn't going to come from a player like N'Golo Kante. I think the other thing to recognise here is that 
They wanted a German-speaking coach to get the best out of Werner and Havertz. That's an incredibly simplistic analysis. And I really hope that Chelsea don't just think because he speaks German, they'll be better. Um, but I guess the emphasis will shift more towards them and away from Mason Mount. And under Lampard, it felt like Mason Mount was being prioritised at the expense of a 70 million euro midfielder and a 60 million euro wide forward or support striker. The negative, well, Tuchel falls out with everybody, doesn't he, in the end? There isn't, a, there isn't an executive or a sporting director or a chairman that actually likes him at this stage. He's, he's clashed well, Abra- with Dortmund. Abramovich at the moment is probably quite high up that list, but he won't be for long. Well, yeah, I mean, clashed with Dortmund, although to be fair, the way their philosophy works and the way they don't necessarily push on to that next level and, and they do sell their best assets and, and replace them with, with teenagers, I guess if you want to get to a certain level, that doesn't work. And if that was Tuchel's complaint, then I think probably fair enough. And PSG is obviously very difficult. So maybe the reputation Tuchel has as an abrasive character who's difficult to work with upper management, maybe that is just, it's just circumstantial because the two jobs he's had in the, in the limelight have naturally led to those, ar- dis- uh, those arguments and disagreements. And maybe we'll see something different. But then again, it's Chelsea. <laughs> it's Chelsea. So maybe this isn't the time to disprove it. No, I don't think so. I mean, it's worth probably pointing out that Thomas Tuchel was the manager under whom Christian Pulisic won his first trophy uh, as a footballer. He is the manager who basically made Thiago Silva PSG captain and and then, you know, let that man captain him to to a Champions League final. There are players here who will be more than comfortable working under this coach. And it was seen that Tuchel wanted to keep Silver last year it was the management of PSG who who decided to to let him leave, and there was a, a fair amount of, of abrasion about that as well. So there are players in the camp who will be already starting to spread word of, of what Tuchel is like among the other players, and you you think that's probably a good thing for him to have not moles in the base, if you will, but you, <laughs> you know what I mean in terms of of what he's what he's got going on there already. Yeah, I think Chelsea have known that for a little while. I think that if Lampard was to go that Tuchel was most likely to come in and the way that the football world works, you know, they'd have all had little chats between themselves. Um, and obviously WhatsApp groups are pretty rife now in football and football clubs and the little cliques within them. So, yeah, I'm sure they'll all have a fair idea of what Tuchel is and isn't going to want from them. Um, and I think it's probably going to be a pretty different atmosphere from the one that Lampard managed in. Um, you know, Lampard was all about bringing back the culture of those winning days at Chelsea um and kind of bringing those youth players through and now I think that the expectation levels have stepped up a gear um and Abramovich has seen Lampard kind of restore a bit of pride in the club and now it's about more than that and Lampard he doesn't feel as capable of of taking the club to where it needs to be next which is basically challenging for the Premier League title um so yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what, what Tuchel can do and what he's able to do. I mean, I've been looking into what we could expect in terms of plan changes. And I think that, you know, the Declan Rice one is one we can probably expect to to say goodbye to, to be honest. I don't expect that to be one that Chelsea pursue much further unless he becomes available at an amazing price, which isn't looking very likely. Um, you know, the fact that Lampard did really want him and they didn't give him in um, last summer, weren't going to give him in, in this transfer window, um, suggests that they just didn't have the faith in him. Um, and ultimately, we said at the start of the window, if they were going to back Lampard, then they'd go and get in Declan Rice. And they, were ne- they were never going to do that. So I don't think he'll join. I think maybe you wait a bit now and see if Jude Bellingham becomes available, because I know that Chelsea are, are very keen on Bellingham. But also, an interesting one, I, I don't know whether this will become one they're able to do, because he's such a good player for the team he's at. But Marquinhos is somebody that Chelsea have been tracking for over for like five years now, to be honest. Um, they tried five years ago to, to get him. That was the most serious actual uh, move they made for him, and they couldn't get him then. Um, Tuchel worked with Marquinhos, um, you know, obviously a, a centre-back by trade, but also like playing him in midfield because he loved the way that he was able to combine the defensive traits with, with linking up to the attacking play and what he was able to offer in that sense. And he got some really, really good performances out of him. And Marquinhos, you know, can now play, you know, defensive midfielder or centre-back, even right-back occasionally for PSG. So, look, if if Chelsea were to go to PSG, if, if Tuchel was to get somebody else in that epitomises what he's about, then that's probably the one I would suggest they might go to. But as I say, like, Marquinhos does love being at PSG. 
he hasn't showed any signs at all that he'd be looking to move. So maybe money talks, maybe if they threw a load more money at him, then it would work. But I imagine PSG are perfectly capable of matching any offer um, in this situation. The other two things I'd say to look out for really are um, Chelsea are going to go and look at new goalkeepers. Um, Kepa, Again. Kepa eventually will be leaving this club. And, you know, Mendy isn't isn't seen as the, the permanent number one. Um, he's seen as a good option. Um, and he's he seen as not Kepa. <laughs> Uh, yeah, basically. But there's no guarantee that, that Mendy's the long-term number one at Chelsea. So, you know, once Kepa's out the door, they'll be bringing in another goalkeeper, not just to play backup, but to actually challenge and have two goalkeepers properly competing for the number one shirt. So that'll be pretty interesting to see what route they go down. Obviously, Petr Cech's there, so he'll probably have most control over that anyway. And you've got to trust a man like that. And then what happens with the central striker position? Because I don't see Tammy Abraham being Thomas Tuchel's cup of tea. I don't... I, Olivier I, Giroud, I'm not I sure do. about. Why, yeah, why don't I you like do. Tammy? I and... think that Tammy might get on quite well with Thomas Tuchel. He's not good enough. Tammy that's, Abraham good that's enough. false. It's not. Tammy Abraham's not good enough. Um, and the, the big question here is basically, can they get Erling Haaland? Because if Erling Haaland does become available, Chelsea are going for him. Um, and they think that they would stand a chance. Uh, I'm still not 100% convinced Haaland wants to come to England at this stage. Um, He's waiting for Leeds to become a force again. I've already told you this. Nobody, nobody is convincing me otherwise that Haaland is waiting for Leeds to become a force before he moves to England. <laughs> well, they just got a load more money, haven't they? They just got a load of back in Leeds, so maybe, maybe your your plan is starting to come true. <laughs> but yeah, I I think that there's potential for that central striker position. I'm not saying it's a definite, but yeah, I'm interested. I'm interested to see if they do something in, in there. You'd imagine that's not this window though, Dean. And and, oh, and no, the, Marquinhos, the Marquinhos thing is perhaps the only one that might be might be taken immediately. None of it's immediate. So um, you expect nothing to happen between here and the end of the transfer window in terms of Tuchel trying to bring someone in? We've got about three days. Precisely. No. So not even Julian Weigel on the loan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think anything is that. Unless there might be a couple that go out the door, but um, no, I don't, there'll, be, there'll be no incomings. David Moyes has already made a play for getting Mason Mount on loan. I've heard. Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So <laughs> like like Mason Mount. You yeah. know, we've been we've been steadfastly. I've been steadfastly against Timo Werner as the central striker and that that brigade. But um, that was not exclusively linked to Lampard, but quite heavily linked to Lampard. And um, I'm not saying I want to see it, but I'd be more open to Werner as the nine in Tuchel's system than I would in the way that Frank Lampard has kind of run Chelsea over the last 18 months. I still don't want to see, I still want to see him as a support striker or, or the left. I'm still in that camp, but Werner as the nine just became plausible. 20% more acceptable for you yeah. than, it, than it was before. All right, yeah. cool. Let's get on to our main ranking. And as I said at the start, we're bringing in Harry Brooks to talk about five players who could do with perhaps a switch of positions Sam. Yeah, I mean, the first episode was such a roaring success. And by that, I mean, I loved it. Uh, I thought I'd get Harry back on again. So Harry comes in for volume two, five more players that could, not necessarily need, but could do with a switch in position that might make them just a little bit better or a little bit more relevant at their clubs or maybe even extend their career a little bit longer. So interesting to see what he says. All right, let's bring Harry in. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. Well, I'm delighted, and I say this a lot, but I'm genuinely delighted to welcome back one of our favourite, favourite ever former guests, perhaps the most talked about guest we've ever had on this show, Mr. Harry Brooks, head coach of the Royals. Harry, how are you doing, mate? Welcome back. I'm really well, thanks, guys. Uh, you're too kind. You're too kind. I think, to be fair, it's only because Sam is the one that measures it every other time. You two must be sick of hearing about it. Um, <laughs> no, mate. Honestly, it's um, it was an episode for debate, and uh, and then one of those things. That every time Leroy Sane scores one, cutting in from the right, we're like, I do remember when Harry talked about that. That was class, wasn't it? Um, and and so it proved. And I think that that's uh, that's worth its weight in uh, it's worth its weight in gold, mate. So well, I, I, had to, I had to get one right, didn't I? So you know, I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> We thought it was only right to bring you back. Let's have another crack at it. Five more yeah. players who could do with a shift in position. So, I mean, over to you, my friend. The floor is yours, and uh, I'm excited about getting through this. Yeah, so the one in fifth is um, probably my favourite player in the world to watch right now. Uh, it's Tangin Dombly, and um, it's not a major change, but I think that, you know, he's obviously had a bit of a renaissance for Spurs this year. 
Um, people seem to forget he was an incredible footballer before he joined Tottenham. You know, there's a reason they paid a lot of money. Um, it's not like Jose has completely reinvented him, but Jose has used him predominantly, you know, higher up the pitch this year um, in more of the 10 role. Um, I personally think he's better deeper. Um, I think he's got certain attributes that are quite unique that I think will get the best out of him and be best for the team when they utilise deeper. I think that when you play him higher up, you're not utilising what he's so remarkable at in the same way. Now, he's still incredible there because he's an incredible footballer, but I prefer him deeper because of the attributes that playing deeper allows, more so than higher up the pitch. Um, so, yeah, and Dominic, um slightly deeper in more of an eight role would be one for me. Um, what what specifically are those attributes, Harry? So I think if you watch him play, I mean, I, I cite this game quite a bit. He, um, it's the, the game versus Liverpool away last year, um, for me. It's one of his most remarkable performances. I'm sure there's um, highlights online somewhere. And he came on and I think he only had 20 minutes of, of the game left. And he was just remarkable in those 20 minutes. And he's there's not many players for me that can find the passing angles that he finds. And most of those are predominantly deeper, you know, where they're going 20 plus yards, 25 plus yards, an angle that you just don't see. And he's so remarkable at getting the ball up the pitch, resisting pressure, turning away from pressure in so many ways. You kind of want him to be the one to get the ball up to the pitch and then use someone else in that 10 that can do the slip passes, that can, you know, do what he does provide. Um, and it's, you know, we've seen a bit of a goal scoring spree recently. I mean, I know it's, it's three in the last two games, isn't it? Um, and, you know, you can cite that, that, you know, he's playing higher. But I still think that he's someone that can get in the box from deep. I think that that is there to his game. Um, so I just think that him playing deeper, you know, the passing angles, the ability to get the ball up the pitch. Um, I'm not saying it's unique, but his mixture of um, creativity, intelligence, uh, technique and physicality all in one. I can't think of too many players that have all that in one package. And I just think that you want him on the ball as often as possible in deeper areas. So, I mean, he's obviously sort of come from a deeper area over at Leon, right? He used to play as part of the pivot, used to play deeper, used to feed those passes forward. So what you're suggesting isn't, isn't, isn't too contentious. However, I guess it kind of is in light of the fact that, you know, Monday night saw him score two goals against Wickham. And as you say, he's got, he's been on a bit of a scoring streak recently. Would it be fair, though, to say that you don't expect Ndombele's scoring streak to continue? You don't think he's going to be in amongst the goals all the time, even playing as a number 10, because he's not necessarily that kind of player. And we always talk about how Tottenham only really have two goal scorers. And playing Ndombele deeper and fitting somebody else into that forward line, into that into that quartet, um, be it, you know, Deli Ali back in there again, or be it someone like, you know, Lucas Moura on a more regular basis, whatever you choose might help alleviate the pressure on the two goal scorers that Tottenham do have and maybe make it more of a, a consistent three with Ndombele feeding the balls to all three of them. I don't know. Maybe it's a way that not only gets the best out of him, but diversifies that Tottenham attack in a way that, let's be honest, they probably need it. Yeah, 100%. And I think I think one of the major reasons why Jose is used Ndombele as a 10 is apparently there's rumours that Ndombele actually prefers to play there. Um, so he feels that he's going to get the best out of him. Um, but also because, you know, there has been doubts about his... Uh, you know, his ability to maintain the intensity because uh, he is such an explosive player and that's a really exhausting style of football. Um, perhaps Jose is a bit worried about, you know, you know, wanting more cover in front of that front, you know, more stability defensively in front of the back line. So if he puts him higher up, at least you have the extra man further back. But I agree with you. I think that especially recently, Spurs have lacked, um, lacked threat other than from Kane and Son. At the beginning of the season, they were playing with more risk. Then they went over, you know, they had the, the sort of period of games where they were playing against really good opposition. So it's, you know, the tactics were to sit deeper and to be more compact. And it's very difficult to then go and completely change tactics again and play with that risk. And you have just seen that, you know, it's just been too um, negative when Spurs have got in the lead recently. So perhaps having that, as you just said, done doubly deeper and that extra play on the forward line to feed will just increase Spurs' threat by and large. It's maybe a bit risky, but for me, it's a risk definitely worth taking. Really annoying that Deli Alley's just kind of become a sideshow now because, like, you know, ultimately what you're saying, if Ndombele is deeper, then it should be Deli is the one that the created, you know, that third goal scorer along with Son and Kane. And he was that person when Mourinho came into the club. And he started off pretty well under Mourinho, to be yeah. honest. And and he's just fallen away, you know, whatever it is that Mourinho wanted from Deli that he's not doing. I'm not sure exactly what that is, but clearly there's a massive issue there. Um, he's not going to be at the club much longer. Like, are you surprised that he hasn't? 
given Delhi more of a chance recently, especially in a game like, you know, Wickham. He's obviously because he's going to PSG now, but Delhi Alley would have scored twice against Wickham, no problem. If I'm completely honest, no, I'm not surprised. Um, Delhi Alley had a good start, you know, when Jose came in and he was producing, but Delhi Alley's problem, and it is a problem, is that he's still, he, it's a very fine line between being creative and being immature. And too often, Delhi Alley goes past the line of creativity into immaturity. And, you know, where he'll lose the ball by trying a flick that was just never on. And you can say that, you know, well, you know, you've got to give and take, you know, you've got to accept that, you know, that he's going to do that now and again and accept that, you know, he'll produce the moments like he did in the Champions League semi-final with the great flick to Lucas that set mm. the goal. But not really because it's like he does go too far the other way, too much of a, a street footballer. And you've got to find the balance. And he still, for me, hasn't learned that balance yet. And, you know, there's been lots of games when he has played and he's just, he's been a hindrance to the team because any time the ball goes into the final third, into his feet, and you're looking to sustain pressure and retain the ball, and he gives it away so loosely. And, you know, it's down, for me, it's down to Delhi. You know, managers want to play good players. They want players that win games. And Jose, of course, knows that Delhi can win the game. But if he thinks that he's going to be a hindrance too often and isn't producing enough goals and assists to make up for that, I do understand it. Um, now, again, he could go to PSG under Pochettino and get another lease of life, and and that could be acceptable. But I think that in recent times, he's, he goes he goes too far past the line of creativity into immaturity. And, mm. you know, it's all well and good us as, you know, on the outside of it saying, yeah, but you want to see that football, but... You know, Jose's job's on the line. All these managers, their job's are on the line. They need to win games. And if they think that, you know, he's not adapting to the tactics and he's not learning, how can you play him? Do you know what I mean? It's a yeah. shame because he's such a talent, but it's not a surprise. It's, for me, it's as blunt as it is, that's the realities of football. And it's, it's on Delhi. It's on Delhi to prove he can do that. Unless, I mean, he got his chance the other day versus Marine. And it's just, he's, he just, he's done a moment that just signifies why Jose's not playing him. He's done... They were winning the game, was very comfortable. And then he done like a rainbow flick on the halfway line. Yeah. And it and it didn't work. And it was never gonna work. And they nearly went and scored. And then you then then you can't Jose would be every right to go, you see, you're not learning. Yeah. You know, you've got to do it in certain areas. And I appreciate you're gonna get it wrong now and again, but you've got to understand the balance. And that's that's for me been the issue. So I'm I'm not surprised to be honest. No. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I'm, I mean, Harry, last bit on, on Spurs and, and, and of these players, you mentioned creativity a lot there. And what are the things I see on Twitter that you perhaps get the most heat for? What are your most contro uh, controversial statements, should we say, occasionally, is that Ndombele is the most creative player yeah. in the world at times, right? And and I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I'd invite the kind of explanation of why that is, because I think a lot of people will look at that and they think that can't be right because they're thinking of creativity in a very different way to the way that you're thinking about it, right? But I'd just like to kind of open why for you, he is the most creative player in the world. It's purely how I define creativity. So for me, creativity is, you know, if you're talking about creativity and you're talking about creating chances, then of course not. You guys are people like uh, De Bruyne and people like that, you know, and that's fine. But for me, creativity is the ability to play off the cuff, the freedom to express yourself, do things that are different, do things that are surprised. You can't, for me, you can't plan creativity. It happens. It's like, you're, it's just off the cuff, something like that. And in terms of world football, I can't think of too many players that every single time they'll do something that I don't expect. They'll find a pass that I didn't see was there. He'll turn away from pressure that I didn't think was there, you know. And there's just so much creativity and so much freedom. There's so much uniqueness to his game. I can't think of too many players that has the mixture of, you know, finding the creative passing angles, um, resisting pressure and turning away from players, going past players. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it, the, the, the way I slowed it down, the, um, the, the skill versus Chelsea, um, where he had Silver and, um, Silver and Kante. I mean, two amazing defensive players that are shepherded him out, out wide. He stopped the ball, then done an inside step over, outside step over, and hooked it inside them, like with no time, no space. And it's those kind of moments that he does all the time, um, which is for me why he's one of the most creative players in the world, for me, the most creative player in the league. Um, in terms of how I define creativity. Fantastic. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you're you're spot on in terms of that definition. There's there are moments. I mean, I mean, I think personally, second only to Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa, but you know, that's a, <laughs> that's up for debate. Um, and with that, we probably should move things on to number four, Harry. Yeah, so number four is Jaden Sancho as a number 10. Um, 
Now, Jaden Sancho, for me, is a phenomenal talent, um, but he's got, there's certain aspects of his game that he's never going to have. Now, if you are spending, you know, the money he would cost, maybe, I don't know what it would be now, but let's say in the summer, there was talks of 80 million plus, 100 million plus. If you're spending that on a wide forward, for me, there are certain requirements that a wide forward, and that's a, that's an elite level wide forward you're spending that money on, isn't it, really? If you're spending that money, you're expecting yep. an elite level wide forward. Now, for me, there are certain requirements that an elite level wide forward has to produce. And that is the ability to take the game by the scruff of the neck. And when it's not going well, can you provide the moment? Can you, the kind of goals that we spoke about with the Leroy Sane thing when I last spoke to you guys, um, you know, the ability to have the ball out wide, drive in, go, I'm the man, I'll drive in, smack, bend it into the top corner and produce those kinds of moments. And when was the last? Who was the last elite wide forward? You can maybe say Sterling, but even then he's a threat from outside the box now as well. But when was the last elite wide forward, um, you know, that, that didn't score those kind of goals? I can't think of one. You talk about the elite wide forwards, you're talking about Iron Robin, um, you know, those kind of plays. And they, they, they produce similar kind of output. And for me, James Sancho will never have that to his game. He's someone that for him to succeed... He's a very much a connective kind of player. Combinations, tight areas, one-twos, nice slips in behind, beating a man, then releasing it. You know, lovely finishes inside the box. He doesn't do those big explosive movements uh, or moments, sorry. And he doesn't take the game by the scruff of the neck. He's someone that performs if the team is in a nice rhythm and he's got players to play off of and he's got players making the runs. Now, again, like I said, an elite wide forward, needs to produce those moments. And he's never going to do that. That's not his game. He can't drive, explode past players with big touches. He's not an amazing ball striker from outside the box. So he's not really a threat from outside the box. So, but what he does have, those cute combinations, those abilities to slip players in, pass and move, lovely finishes inside the box, intelligent player, good understanding of space and angles. That suits the number 10. And he's had a bit of a struggling start this year. And I think it's because of that. It's because he's not the player that can go and do those big aggressive movements, no matter what the occasion is. And that's why I think him as a number 10 would be uh, an interesting option, an interesting option to get the best out of him potentially. It definitely covers up his lack of kind of top end speed. Um, yeah. It's something that you and I have spoken about before, Harry, is that Sancho will always want the ball to feet. Yeah. Uh, and probably won't ever want to want to want to run onto the ball in behind. Unlike, say, let's let's say Marcus Rashford, yep. who is happy to have the ball played over the top and for him to chase. And that's when those big explosive moments come, right? Because that's when you can latch onto something. That's when you've got the space to utilize and the speed to maybe try and figure out some space, try and beat a player. And Sancho doesn't necessarily have that. I'd be be fine with seeing him in the number ten because he is so good in those tight spots. But even, even if you do receive defeat, let's say, let's let's go back to my example of Iron Robin. When Iron Robin receives the ball out, out wide, maybe deep at defeat, everyone's going, he could score here, he could score, he could cut in and, and bend into the sort of corner, he could be a threat here on his own. When Jack Sancho receives the ball in that area, you know that he's not going to score in the next two or three seconds. It's not happening. The ball has to he either has to set someone up or the ball has to work its way there temporarily, you know, more stagnant. It, He's very good at retaining the ball in the final third, um, but he, the ball, it, when, if he receives it deep and out wide, for example, it's not going to be a goal anytime soon unless there's a breakaway and you know lots of open space. But where are these players like you know like the elite wide forwards, the likes of Iron Robin in the obviously you know yesteryear, when the ball ends in any area, when he's you know in the, in the opposition half, you know there could be a threat from him on his own right now. He could score at any moment. He could take the game at any moment upon himself. And go and produce that moment, and just just and that, it's not an insult of Sancho. That's just not his game, and I think that's why you've seen him struggle this year. Dortmund haven't been great, um, and it's been hard for him to get in the rhythm. He needs the team to be in a good rhythm to to get the best out of himself. Um, whereas if you look at like a Mo Salah, it kind of it, it's irrelevant how well Liverpool are playing. Mo Salah will still produce that same kind of threat, at least you know before the last little blip. But you know, and it's that it's those reasons why I think get him higher up the pitch where he's closer to goal, we can do those finishes inside the box because he's a lovely finisher. There's a difference between finishing the ball, I think, and ball striking. Ball striking with power and, you know, um, pace is not his forte, but he's a lovely composed finisher. He's good inside the box. And I just think get him into those areas more often. So how's he going to fit in at Man United then? If that if that's his strength and he hasn't got the traits that Rashford's got from, from the wide areas, like United have kind of got Fernandes that plays that, you know, backup attacker. 
Would Sancho be able to play a 10 at United? Probably not. And is he going to have that explosiveness to come in from the wings? No. What do you see as his role there? Uh, I mean, I probably wouldn't sign him if I'm at United just because yeah. I don't think it suits their style. Um, he was, he's, listen, he's a superb footballer. And, you know, he would certainly be fitting into this United side right now. And, you know, they're in a good rhythm. There'll be some lovely goals. You'll be, you'll be slipping the ball in behind for Rashford's runs. But, you know, if I'm at United, I, 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 I think that, you know, as good as he is, is there someone more suited? Um, but then again, what he does provide, that ability to provide a bit more structure in possession in the final third, that ability to retain the ball in the final third. United don't really have that. A lot of those, a lot of United's players right now are very immediate players. You know, like, you know, get the ball and it has to end in a, in a shot or a, a run or a pass now. Um, they're not going to just main, retain the ball in the final third. So, you know what, it would probably, for United actually, be good on the right and just to provide that balance because United... They do have threat in behind now. They do have those big explosive plays. So he would suit United in that sense. Um, but there would be bad times at United, you know, because the way they play, it's, it's very, there's a lot of freedom to those players. And if they're not in a rhythm and they're not in a good moment, you know, Sancho isn't the one that's going to take it upon himself to go and produce that. So when United would be playing well and in a good rhythm, he'd be a superb acquisition. But when it's not quite that, that period of time, because that is that can happen with, with this United side, um, then he would be struggling, as a lot of them would do. Um, but he would fit in in that sense to this team. So he'd probably play off of the right and just provide that, you know, yeah. passing combinations and retain the ball and that variety to their attack. Is there a point here, Harry, that it's something that Dortmund don't have in abundance? Like, obviously, you know, Julian Brandt and Marco Royce can both yeah. strike the ball, but neither of them at this point in their career are electric, right? There is no huge kind of pace in, in that attack and the three of them behind Haaland is, is is lovely on paper but re realistically what we're seeing from Sancho is that there's no one to do that whereas at United as you say the kind of different elements of having a Rashford for example on the left and, and a Sancho on the right would give you two different options you know you can come short and you can go long and it and it kind of draws teams around a little bit more but I just wanted to kind of touch on on Friday night because I think it sums up quite nicely everything you've been saying right Sancho had some lovely moments some lovely link-ups with Haaland but ultimately over the course of the game was was phased out by the fact that Gladbach were just able to to hit Dortmund over and over again you know in transition and and in doing so I think you you sum up both the things yes lovely when he's on the ball lovely in that combination play but those goals and those moments he had weren't enough to take that game and win it and, and maybe you know, you know, you know who would be superb for is Manchester City in Guardiola mm. I don't think there's much chance of that going back yeah yeah but you know that that's the kind of setup that I think that he would be able to produce yeah. all the time consistently and it would still be fantastic for United I mean if they did sign him and again the problem would be you know you'd probably have to put him on the left because if you put him and Wan-Bissaka on the right it's just it doesn't really that doesn't fit for me you know yeah. that doesn't work so then you've got to put Rashford on the right maybe and then but Rashford's better coming in from the left is it just it might be a bit complicated to fit him in but you know good players make it work and uh it would be a superb signing but maybe wouldn't be the number one go-to for me if I was Man United. Is it worth caveating all of this by just saying, like, obviously, some of the things we've, we've delved into here with, regarding Sancho, we're, we're sort of talking about a lack of authority and assertiveness at points here, or, uh, or a sort of inability to maybe maintain, as you say, Jack, over 90 minutes, this kind of assertiveness. It's just worth caveating that he's 20. And he's already shown an awful lot of authority and assertiveness for a 20-year-old over the last couple of years with some unbelievable numbers. Yeah. And... Uh, I don't think any of you guys are suggesting otherwise, really, that he hasn't got room to grow. But this is what I'd say for the for the posterity of the conversation that we don't think Jaden is done quite yet. Oh, no. Certainly not. No, certainly not. No, superb talent. And this is what a lot of people, this is why I'm really glad he went out to Dortmund because he got the opportunity. But I guarantee, this is why I'm glad Man United didn't sign him in the summer. Because if they signed him in the summer, I guarantee you, when they were going through their bad spell, you would have seen headline after headline, Sancho's overrated, They've made a bad mistake. And it's like, well, no, he's 20 years old. You know, this happens to young players. You know, you go through... Greenwood just went through 10 games without scoring. It happens. It's part of the process, you know. So... Um, Greenwood yeah, got no, savaged you, as well. He got absolutely savaged by the media for like two straight months. So, you know, it's, no, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But, you know, that, that's, that's part and parcel. So, um, he's an outstanding talent, outstanding player. I just don't think that's an aspect... I just don't think that's in his game. And to get the best out of him... I'll put him in, in the 10 role, maybe. Or consider it, certainly. Lovely. All right, let's move on to number three then, Harry. Yeah, so it's another Spurs player, I'm afraid, but it's, I think it's quite a, quite an apt one. It's Gareth Bale as a 10. 
um, again, another 10. Um, back, back to his roots as well. I remember yeah, last well, time. you know, it's, when, when you ask me to find the list of five players, it's actually quite hard because maybe it just means the manager's getting it spot on right now, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, generally speaking. But, you know, it's, it's probably a little bit easier to sort of shift players around in forward positions, maybe. Um, and that's why the, in my list has a few 10s and, you know, there'll be some strikers. But um, Bale is a 10 because, for me, the truly elite players, when they get to a stage of when they've lost certain athletic abilities, they're able to adapt their game and still be a superb player. So we saw it from Ryan Giggs when he lost that ridiculous speed and ability to carry the ball. He adapted his game and sometimes plays centre mid even. Um, so, you know, and I think that Bale is in that bracket. You, you, you've seen, even at Spurs, you've seen enough to say that there's still a top footballer there. You know, the moments of the intelligence of, um, you know, the runs to make, where to be, some technical aspects. Um, but what you have to accept He's not going to be that player anymore that picks a ball up deep and absolutely drives past players. You know, the, the bail that we saw for Spurs and from before and for Real Madrid, where he just explodes past players. He still has, I think you've saw, even in the game yesterday, he still has a bit of a burst, but it's over that five yards that, you know, just beat them and then get the ball in. Not those two, three, four, even big driving touches. He doesn't have that to his game. So, but because he has those under, because he's adapted his game, he has that understanding of movement, how to ghost into the box, superb finisher, obviously outstanding technical abilities, getting in and around those areas, around the box, where he can produce those moments as often as possible, rather than him coming deep and he's like, he's not going to get the ball up the pitch on his own. He might find a good pass, but getting in those areas where he can produce telling moments of the game, um, finding with those passes, you could, again, just going back to the Indomitable thing, Sam, I mean, Having Bale as one of the front three, where Ndombele can find those runs he makes, he's a. It's yeah, I was going to say, Harry, you've just you've just come onto the you've accepted the invite to the podcast graciously, and you've come on. You've just decided to forward your agenda for how you think Spurs should be run. So pretty much, it. pretty much. Yeah. I'm, I'm, when when Jose leaves, I'll be expecting the phone call from leaving you know, in a just a due course. But no, he's yeah. I just think that you know Bale is still he's had a lot of stick this year. He's had a, he's, it's been a tough time for him in recent years, and you know there's people that are doubting him. Is he finished? And it's obviously he doesn't have certain aspects to his game. So, okay, if you don't have that ridiculous power and ability to explode, you're not going to be a player that's worth playing deeper. Um, so let's get you higher up then, where you don't have to explode and you can receive the ball higher and do, still do those telling moments. Tottenham want to keep Bale beyond, beyond the season. I, I wrote a piece about it a couple of weeks ago because everyone just presuming that that's, that's it, of, you know, the way that it's going for him, that there's no chance that they're going to keep him. Madrid do really want him to stay at Tottenham because they don't want him back <laughs> for the last year of his contract. Uh, but actually, Mourinho really, really likes having Bale around the place. Daniel Levy loves having him back. Um, apparently he's been really, really good to, around the place. Like he's no bother at all. He's really low maintenance. And they're saying like the biggest issue with him is that he just hasn't had a proper pre-season yeah. to get going so that he's not fully fit. And I know some people say, well, hang on, he's just had half a season to get fit, but it's not the same because you're just not the training drills and the, the kind of setup that you get in the scheduling just doesn't allow you to have that proper pre-season that Bale needs. And he hasn't had one properly for probably a while now. Um, so that's Spurs thinking right now. And I think that, you know, what he does come about, we obviously saw him play against Wickham on Monday good. Night. Good against, I know it's Wickham, but he, he was good. He, looked he sharp, was good, he yeah. Looked, and explosive. it's important that he gets, you know, a game like that. Sounds stupid, Bale needing to play against like Wickham, but he does need a game like that where he's got 90 minutes and helps him, you know, just get his rhythm back. And that, that rustiness has got to come out of him in order for him to get back to his best. Um because even even someone that's as naturally talented as Gareth Bale can't just like a tap, just turn it on and off. You know, he's he's got to get his rhythm. Uh, so it's interesting there, you know, the, the kind of role you're talking about him having, because it would make sense at this stage of his career for sure. I think so. I think he hasn't played a lot of football in recent years. Bale has always has, has had for a long while now without certain consistent injuries, you know, and he's getting older, so it's not going to help things. But when you haven't played consistent football for a while and you haven't had a pre-season, it's very difficult to... And you're coming into an environment that's already intense. You know, they're already at their levels. It's very difficult to sort of get up to speed without breaking down. And as you said, it's really important for him to get into a rhythm of games. Um, I personally think that Spurs should keep him for the next year. You know, um, increase the option for the extra year mm-hmm. because he, he's still a fantastic player. He's clearly, as you just said, he's clearly great to have around the, the you know, the changing room, the club um, with what he's won and how he can guide players. You know, that's a big asset. 
Um, but you know, that preseason, this preseason will be a big thing for him. It'll be at the, you know, they'll all be starting from the same level and he'll be able to make get up to get up to speed correctly mm-hmm. rather than having his preseason during the season and then expecting to play games and then breaking down. It's difficult to get that rhythm. Um, hopefully he's able to um during the season to, you know, at least play enough games. But if he isn't, I would still certainly consider keeping him for next year, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and Spurs seem to be doing so, DJ. So so it's uh, happy times for everyone, uh, which moves us on nicely to, to number two, Harry. Yeah, um, Mo Salah as a striker. Um, so Mo Salah as a striker, for me, um, he's a player that um, is a very ind- he's very individualistic. I know he creates chances and he sets other players up, but it's because of him, it's his, his individual moments. He's not really someone that, I think contributes too much to general team play. He's on the end of moves. He's the final piece of the uh, of the move. And I think what you're seeing from him this year, I don't know what the reason is, but he just doesn't seem to have that same ability to go past players and to explode past players. Similar to what we kind of said with Gareth Bale, not in the same not in the same way, but there just doesn't seem he just doesn't seem to be able to go past players in the same way. But what you have seen is that, and this will he'll never lose this, is that unerring confidence within himself that when he gets into goal scoring areas he will back himself every single time he's had a bit of a goal scoring drought but I guarantee you when he went through against Man United in the box where he lifted it over De Gea he knew he was scoring and if he didn't score he would know he'd score the next one that's just his mindset so if he has lost the ability to maybe carry it past players and be that kind of player or that's not his game anymore and Liverpool need a bit of a freshen up why not stick him up front get him into the box more often where he can finish those chances. He's still got a fantastic ability to get shots away quickly and just work a shot. Um, but the problem is for Liverpool right now is that they've got injury after injury. So how are you going to sort of like, you know, find enough balls to play elsewhere? But for himself, if the, he just doesn't look to be that player anymore that, again, it could just be form. It could be because Liverpool are in a bad rut, but where he really, really, truly just takes the ball past players and plays that wide, but he's still always going to have that threat inside the box. So that could be something that could be there for me. He has been used up front a few times in Liverpool, hasn't it? You know, yeah. when I went on your pod last last time, uh, you know, the, the conversation for me was it wouldn't be a disaster if Liverpool so, sold Salah. And it was, you know, the reason was not not disregarding him. He's a phenomenal player, but it's because Liverpool need a freshening up. And I think you're seeing that this year, that it's, on top of the injuries, it's maybe just that front three's got a bit stale now. Okay, so if we haven't got any other options to play right now, Jota's injured, you know, well, okay, can we somehow work around the front three to maybe get a new lease of life, change it a little bit, you know, find something to get them back into a rhythm and maybe playing him up front would do that. Yeah, I mean, look, that finish, as you say, against Man United is not the finish of a man devoid of confidence of a man out of form, is it? It's a man who absolutely backs himself, whatever the weather, to, to be putting that away. And I think that that's fair enough. I guess the problem, you know, as you as you rightly highlight there, and I'll probably throw this to you, Sam, is what do you do with this Liverpool team right now when when everybody is just slightly out of out of off the pace, slightly out of form? Can you afford to be be throwing salad through the middle. Yeah, I've just started writing some names down on a piece of paper while Harry was talking to try and figure this out and um, ended up writing Milner on the right wing and then crossing it out <laughs> panicking. Um, there's, there's, just, there's just not, um, there's maybe not the flexibility to do that at the moment with the injuries with 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 Jota out and things like that. But um, I mean, the, the idea of dropping Firmino back into the into the number 10 role, which is basically the role he plays anyway, is the number nine. Um, but when they did used to put Salah up front, they used to switch from 4-3-3 to 4-2-3-1, didn't they? And they played they played four players and they played Firmino behind Salah. Um, and Shakiri is still still technically floating around. I mean, he's actually playing more football than ever at the moment. Um, you know, Shakiri getting 70 minutes rather than six is a career highlight for for the man uh, in a red shirt. But I guess you could probably go with, with Shakiri on the right and Salah up front, Firmino in the 10 and Mane, Mane on the left. That could work. Um, but I think the overarching point here is that Salah, Salah could be a striker for any club, not just yeah. Liverpool and not just in the next month and not just to freshen things up. If Salah were to make a move to, say, Real Madrid, which has obviously been talked about in the past or another major move that Dean may be able to talk a little bit more about, then any club looking to buy Salah could quite reasonably looking be looking at him as a striker rather than a winger because he would suit the profile and suit the mould. And he has that big game ability. He has that consistency. He has that killer instinct that every striker for an elite club where the pressure is on 
must have. He has all of those attributes. So it makes sense to me, even if it's not just a short term thing. Dean, what is the situation? Because, you know, we spoke a couple of weeks back about the fact that the people in Liverpool are looking to renew their contracts immediately or Fabinho, Van Dijk, you know, salary is a little bit further down that list. Is there interest elsewhere? No, there's not. And that's that's just Salah's problem. He's, he's done two interviews now in the last two months where he's kind of putting the impetus on Liverpool to offer him a new contract. So it's up to the club, you know, how long I stay here. And they're like, well, you're here for the next few years, mate, because you're under contract. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, there's there's not really any any will from Liverpool at the moment to go into any talks because while he might have spoken about Real Madrid and Barcelona, um, and you know, being open to playing for those clubs one day. Um, those clubs don't actually have any concrete interest in him right now. And in a time when, um, you know, I guess if you know, maybe if Messi leaves Barcelona and a gap like that opens up, then then I guess there's potential that they might go for Mo Salah. But I don't see Real Madrid going for Mo Salah at the moment. Um, Barcelona can't afford Mo Salah, and they can't afford anybody. They can't afford me. Well, they'll, <laughs> they'll find some money from somewhere in the next four or five months, I imagine. But um, you know, and then you think, well, where else is he going to go? Like, what is he, PSG for the Mbappe replacement? And is he going to want to go there? I don't know. But um, I don't think that there's any offers on the table for him right now. And um, But one thing that I've been told quite a few times is that Liverpool um, have expected for a while that if there was one of their stars to, to leave first, then it's going to be Salah. Like, there's always been that feeling that he's just got that bit more ego, that bit more drive and ambition to go and test himself somewhere else the feeling that this isn't the, this isn't all he can do I think um, you know while Mane I'm sure if one of those clubs came forward he'd, he'd give it a crack and be happy to go and go and test it because he'd feel he was up to it I think he'd be quite content with, with staying at Liverpool as well and I think Firmino's the same whereas Salah I think's just got that bit of edge about him whereas like hang on I'm the star around here and you'll you'll be struggling without me um, he might have a point, but equally, I don't actually think Salah's irreplaceable, um, which is usually the case with a, with a club's best player when you've just won a league. I've got it. I've got the solution. Go. Leicester have been looking for a Jamie Vardy backup for ages. <laughs> no, hang on. I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't got to this point yet, and I'm going to get to it at the end. And I have a question about it, so we're not going to Leicester right now. Um, but I think that is a nice place to conclude the discussion on Salah. So we'll move on to Harry's number one. Yeah, we're leaving the UK. We're going to go to La Liga and Marco Sensio as a striker. Um, Sammy, and you have spoken about this a bit, haven't we? Um, now, this, I first had this thought... Um, when I think Benzema got a bit of an injury um, and it's just rumoured you'd had just no backup they trusted. I mean, they clearly didn't trust Jovic uh, for whatever reason. I mean, what striker is currently at Madrid other than Benzema? Mariano Diaz. Yeah, Mariano. Good player, but it's not the level of Real Madrid. But essentially, his attributes, um, for me, make a perfect striker because his ball striking is phenomenal. Phenomenal. He can, even though he's quite one-footed, he can play at all angles. You know, he can come in from the left, he can come in from the right, he can play central, he can drive from deep as well. You know, which obviously there's that is a benefit as well as a striker. Um, you know, in counter attacks and other stuff, he can make runs in behind. He can play in tight areas. He's got good movement inside the box, and you know, Benzema's getting on a bit, and Real Madrid could probably do with another tangible threat up front because if it was one thing that Real Madrid just don't have they don't have that guaranteed killer goal scorer they've looked you know Hazard doesn't he's a great player but Hazard doesn't live for goals um you know even Benzema good goal scorer but he doesn't he doesn't die for goals he's not he doesn't live for goals you know he doesn't there's, you need that selfish kind of streak and I think Asensio has that potential in his game to be like yeah I'm scoring today like you can do what you want but I'm scoring and I think if you can get him in and around those areas as often as possible, he could potentially provide that threat, that consistent threat up front, um, that consistent goal threat. Um, and, you know, Madrid have enough players to play slightly deeper behind the forward, but they don't have maybe enough strikers. And I think he could be a real yeah. top draw striker. Potentially. I, do, I do love this, to be honest with you. I do. I think this is a great shout. Um Back in like 2017, I think it was, when Real Madrid played in those purple kits and beat Juve in the Champions League final. That was 17, right? Yeah. yeah. That was when they were, that was when Asensio was coming through and he was stepping off the bench late in games, is getting the odd run out against, you know, Mallorca or whatever on the left wing. But then in Champions League games, he'd come on for 20 minutes at the end. 
and the attitude that he played with, I absolutely loved. He had such a, it's such an intensity to the way he played and the sort of, and it was that kind of feeling of inevitability, like the same way that you knew Ronaldo was going to score when Asensio entered the pitch for the last 20, you kind of knew Asensio was going to score as well. And I do think he's always kind of shown that kind of striker's attitude, even when playing from the left or the right wing. And this would avoid the issue of Real Madrid having to spend a lot of money on a player of the requisite quality to play for Real Madrid, only to then just completely and utterly ignore them. Because that's what they'll do with any striker they'll buy anyway, because Benzema is the nexus of the entire team. So you yeah. might as well convert someone in-house that you don't have to then be embarrassed by when you spent 60 million on them and not even bothered to use. Yeah. So I think it's kind of a win-win-win. And with Asensio, it gives him more game time because Vinicius Jr., because Rodrigo, because Odegaard when he comes back. And then, of course, you've got Isco hanging around. You've got, you know, Eden Hazard. You've got so many players for that attacking midfield band. If you could just elevate himself as number two striker, he'd get way more playing time. Yeah, I think mm. so. I think so. And you, you, it also gives Madrid another option. You know, maybe they can play two up top now again because Benzema is so good at dropping in and linking play as well. And, you know, you know Benzema loves running out to the channels and, you know, the problem is that when Benzema makes sort of those runs, those selfless runs to draw players away, they haven't got someone that, you know, senses that space he's left, that is desperate to get into that goal-scoring position now. Um, again, Hazard doesn't live for that, you know, and Rodrigo and Vinicius, superb talents, but they don't either. Asensio certainly could. I can, I can just picture now Benzema pulling out and Asensio just driving off the ball into that space and then finishing inside the box. I can see it. It's a move that I can see happening again and again. And, I think that was something that could potentially work really, really well, yeah. I think Hazard and Benzema have a really special connection, I think. They, they do. It's just a different type of connection. It's, yeah. it's their, They want to combine in a five-yard space just yeah. to the left outside of the box because that's the, the area of the pitch that they both happen to feel most comfortable with. And when they do combine, it, it actually tends to end up in Eden Hazard scoring from 25 yards <laughs> rather than someone scoring from inside the box. And so I wouldn't... I wouldn't say, yes, yeah, so I, I, I do love the Hazard-Benzema connection. I think it's probably what you expect from two genuinely elite footballers. Yeah. Um, but it's not, it's not the balance that they had with, um, you know, Ronaldo and Bale. And that's not, it's not just a, a comment on the quality, but the way those two players used to get into the box. Bale scored how many at the back post for Real Madrid? Just working off these movements and Ronaldo from the set from the center spot from the from the penalty spot. Sorry, yeah. um, how many of those goals came from 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 filling into that space that Benzema left and. Yeah, Sensio is that more direct player. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I like it. I like it. And and it, like you say, if you're not going to trust anyone that you bring in anyway, then you may as well save yourself the inconvenience. It's a strange one, isn't it, Luke? You have it's going back to Frankfurt. And was in our four and three for him. He just yeah. keeps just keeps scoring goals when he's back uh, back in Frankfurt. Funny, so though. funny, funny enough when you uh, when you put a player and you you play to his strengths, <laughs> you tends to score goals. But uh, but you also can understand why Madrid don't do that with with Benzema there because it's a very very different setup and yeah. and, it, and it works differently. I want to talk to you, Harry. I want to ask you at least to to kind of just finish this off about a player we spoke there about Leicester and we spoke there about Jamie Vardy. Um, and I've had this idea in my head for ages that Harvey Barnes would be an exquisite nine off the shoulder, at least as a backup to Vardy, someone to learn from him. Uh, but Brendan Rodgers in a press conference yesterday absolutely shut this down. He was like, no chance. I like him running off the wing. I like him running one-on-one -on -one at players. And I can understand that as well. And now, you know, I have a special place in my heart for Brendan Rodgers. Uh, you know that I, I basically trust his word as Bible. And when he says things, I basically just tend to agree with Brendan. But I was intrigued as to what your thoughts were on, on Harvey Barnes running in behind as a nine. I'm sorry, Jack. I'm on Brendan's side here. Good. I'm good. I'm, I'm glad to hear it because it means that Brendan's right again. <laughs> no, listen, you know, I completely see why you would say that. You know, there's that threat behind that explosiveness, that relentlessness. And, you know, if that, that with Barty injured now, that he could maybe do that role. Um, the problem is, I think that Harvey Barnes himself, I'm a big fan of his, but he's quite a basic footballer. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but he's he, he performs certain roles and not many. and sort of does what he's good at and nothing, not much else. Um, he's good at getting the ball, carrying it, driving, and then sort of finishing with not much time to think. Um, he's relentless, consistent um, with his intensity. And if you put him up front, I know that obviously, you know, because it's all well and good saying one runs in behind, but if you play him up front, he has to have more to his game. You know, Vardy has a lot to his game. You do see Vardy that can sometimes play with his back to goal that does drop somewhere else and link play and, 
You know, you can't just be an in-behind striker. And I'm just not sure he has that ability to add that all-roundness to his game to play up front. If he could do, then he could be a superb striker, definitely. But I haven't seen enough yet to tell me that he has the ability or just uh, the, the style even to just go and make that adjustment to then play with because when you're when you're up front obviously when when he's out wide the game's kind of just there in front to the side of him you can see the game already you can just get the ball and go um simple decisions um when he's a striker the game's now all around him much more often um there's much more to think about much more to do um it's not as obvious what to do all the time and i'm not too sure but again we won't know unless we see it he could have that to his game and he certainly has attributes like you said the the relentless running in behind um, he's turning into a goal scorer, which is good. Yeah, that instinctive finish is something that obviously we kind of yeah, associate yeah, with Jamie Vardy, right? I think, I think he's one of those when, if there's too much time to think, I know he scored a goal the other day when he was clear on goal, but it was a really simple finish, I think. Um, I think that he, he hasn't got much composure. It's just more like, don't think, bang, do it, bang, do it, bang. Um, yeah. I just think if you're putting him in areas where there's more time to think and there's more questions to be asked, I'm not too sure he has that to his game. He could do, he could do, but I haven't seen it yet. Kelechi's such a bad fit for the Vardy role, isn't he? Yeah. So yeah. they've got two completely different. They've basically got an off-the-shoulder nine, pure nine, and what is basically a number 10. And Kelechi's going to have to step in. And, and we've seen before, like, he drops in between the lines. He basically stands on James Madison's toes half the time when he plays. And Leicester are going to have to adjust to something, one way or the other. And I, I really wouldn't be opposed to seeing if Harvey Barnes has what it takes, because yeah. we know that they're going to have to make a huge adjustment to Kalecci anyway. So why not give it a go, Brendan, if you're listening? Listen to me. Listen to me. Don't listen to Harry. Listen to me. In Harry Brooks and Brendan Rogers, I trust. So I'm afraid that I'm, 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 now, I'm now a convert to the Harvey Barnes can only play on the wing club. Oh. <laughs> um, right. And um, with that, we are pretty much done. And what's really left for me to do say is say thank you so much to you, Harry. And basically to, to give you the floor, I know you started a Patreon recently. Um, I mean, look, I, I would suggest that you uh, this would be a good time to inform uh, our beloved listeners uh, what, you're, what you're up to. No, I do appreciate it. I mean, Sam notified me the other day. I thought that the patron was £5 a week. <laughs> and then he told me it's £5 a month and I was absolutely gutted. So anybody listening to this, if you've got a spare £5 a month, <laughs> put your hand down the back of the sofa, get some change, £1 a week. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's called The Coach's View. Um and basically, yeah, we, it's something that myself and my, my, my colleague Richard wanted to do, um, provide more content. So, you know, we, we're going to be doing, um, you know, tactical pieces where we, I've got the whiteboard there, if you can see it in the bottom of the corner, um, you know, different video analysis pieces and, you know, hopefully some guest interviews. So just provide more. So it's called The Coaches View. If people are interested in looking at football from a coach's or listening to football from a coach's perspective, um, then obviously hopefully we're for you. But if not, then no worries. Uh, um, yeah, no, but I appreciate the, uh, the shout out there. Didn't see the whiteboard, Harry. Too busy looking at those curtains. Fire. <laughs> yeah, I know. Horrific, isn't they? Not my choice, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Harry, thank you so much as ever. It's uh, been an absolute pleasure. And no doubt this uh, this is the first of many, well, many appearances on the new Ranks FC. Yeah, um, no, lads, really a, appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about William Hill it's who you play with gamble responsibly welcome back to ranks FC and thanks again to Harry Brooks for a phenomenally interesting as ever bit on everybody changing positions I am a little bit you know hot warm shall we say that harry agrees with brendan rogers because it means my two tactical you know guardians are are, are quite nicely in lockstep <laughs> and that makes me happy uh, but it's time for my favorite part of the show dean jones the floor is yours it's time for melon of the week this week's melon of the week is caddy's defender mark barrow oh it should be melon barrow um <laughs> well this wasn't very helpful. So they were his side were already 2-0 down to Sevilla and Youssef and Naziri had already bagged a couple. He's the, basically the best striker around in La Liga at the moment. And Mark Barrow produces the kind of clearance you might see at a nearby park as you walk past on a park Sunday. Park Barrow, eh? 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 <laughs> park Barrow. Um, he kind of 
hook, tries to hook it away or smash it away, but slices it straight up into the air. Um, and it basically comes landing on about the six yard box. And then the Ziri comes, well, just comes climbing over the top of the defender that was there and just heads it straight into the roof of the net. It's, Thank you very much. That's my hat trick. Gracias. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it was Melanie surely, wasn't it, lads? Well, Enesiri is on fire. Yeah. Um, absolutely on fire. So Luis Suarez drew level with him later that weekend on goals. But Enesiri at the time went top scorer in La Liga, 12 goals in 12 starts. He's already scored two in that single game. So you would say he's in the mood already. And then you just present him this chance. I mean, come on. The man had scored five in five before this game, right? He'd already bagged two in this game. He's playing at the moment like prime R9. He's playing so well that West Ham want to buy him. (laughs) I I was going to suggest that West Ham might well be melons of the week for deciding that this was a good time to just, you know, chuck a load of money and be like, oh, no one knows about this fella. We'll try and sign him top scorer in La Liga in the form of his life. And Sevilla's backup is just Luke de Jong. Like, obviously, Sevilla aren't going to sell him. Like, that is is mental. Especially for 25 million plus bonuses. Come on, lads. It's January. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine he wasn't. But yeah, I mean, at the moment, he is just unbelievable. Mark Barrow is open to joining West Ham. <laughs> that would be a more sensible signing for them. Um, they would, that would join, that would, that would fit with West Ham policy, I think. Uh, the season's the going far too well. Let's sign this bloke. Yeah, I mean, end the series. Been a baller since his Leganes days. Still a baller, even if he does play for the wrong half of Seville. <laughs> That's enough talk about Sevilla. It's time for the gibberish alarm. Sam, what you got this week? Yeah, I've been reflecting last week or so on all the things that the coronavirus has stolen from me. Um, very cheery subjects. And uh, I'm not right. just talking about my sense of taste and smell for the week that I had it either. I'm talking about opportunities uh, and events that I've not been able to attend or go to or experience or enjoy because of this wretched virus. So I've actually ranked the three biggest events, the big events that I've, I've missed uh, due to the coronavirus pandemic, and I've ordered them in terms of how gutted I am to have missed them. Fair enough. Mm. So in at number three is my wedding day. Three. It's low. It's low. I'm getting, I'll be honest. <laughs> well, the thing is, lads, obviously I'm gutted to have missed it, um, but it has been rescheduled. So I will actually go to my wedding day eventually, presumably, mm. unless this pandemic really does break us. Um, and it, it obviously it's a it's a it's it's hugely gutting to 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 build up for a year and to plan everything and have it moved back. We moved it back exactly one year to try and, uh, oh, Rachel's just texted me. I heard that third place. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, look, we'll move on. This is really, this is, uh, number one. It's number one now. Um, in at number two <laughs> is, uh, I'm really in trouble, is uh, Above and Beyond Acoustic at the Royal Albert Hall, <laughs> which I was, suppo- I was supposed to attend. You put this here above your wedding day. <laughs> I was supposed to attend this back in, uh, back in, in April last year, it was it was just as as the pandemic was settling in, and uh, foolish me thought, oh maybe by April it'll be okay. It might still be able to, uh, might might be able to attend this. By that point, it was full lockdown, absolutely no chance. But for those of you that don't know, above and beyond, typically a, a dance and electronic music uh, trio, they do the most wonderful acoustic versions of their own songs, and to watch them live and play acoustic music is is genuinely special. I, I went to their their second tour and I got tickets for their third one. I was it was one of those ones that you, you wake up at, at eight in the morning and you queue up for on Ticketmaster. Like it's a it's a it's a serious deal. And to get that email to say it'd been cancelled, to get the refund through on Monzo, that was that was pretty crushing. Yes, I mean it is pretty brutal. I guess there is no chance. Well, I'm sure it'll be rescheduled at some point, but you'll have to go through the whole thing again, which is, which is difficult. Yeah, yeah, I've got to actually get the tickets again, and they cost quite a lot as well. So I'd actually have to part with the money again, and also um, I have no idea when it will be rescheduled for. You don't have a job anymore either, so it's actually much more difficult to justify paying can, for these kind of things. Can I even afford to go? Um, yeah, but difficult. they also don't have a rescheduled date because they already have like you know two years worth of gigs booked up, right? So like it probably comes in several years later. They had to. They yeah. couldn't just rearrange it. They had to cancel it, and then they'll be like, "Oh well, we'll see." Well, so, that is bad. I mean, I'm intrigued as to what's number one here. Was the World Ping Pong Championships? Oh uh, yeah, no, fair enough. Fair uh, enough. Which, which you know, we, we, it took place this weekend, and I couldn't help but think, 
this is what sparks this entire conversation really is that you know jack you and i were at the world ping pong championships last yeah. last year and it was it was quite the event wasn't it we had such a good time even if even if alexander flash fleming did lose on match point to, to andrew bagley i was gutted no, you weren't. You were you were supporting Bagley, but I was I was fully in Flash's camp, and it you know it was nice to see him get retribution. Obviously, on on Sunday night, I was watching that alongside Atletico versus Valencia, <laughs> and probably the strangest combination of things that anyone's ever been watching. I was getting texts about the NFL games. I was like, I'm only watching the se- I'm only watching the second half uh, because unfortunately the uh, the World Ping Pong Championships is on. Uh, but but Flash did it in three sets, so it was actually I got got most of the second quarter actually in the in the end. So. Yeah, no, I can completely appreciate this. It was um, what a day out. I mean, it's not quite the darts, but it it was an exceptionally good day out. And there were a lot of Smirnoff Ices consumed. Yeah, you made a new drink and you made a new song. I think yeah. that day, uh, which was nice, but yeah, a hell of a day. It was, it was, I mean, I haven't been to the darts, but having seen it on TV, it's darts esque. You just got absolutely battered and got way too into a sport that you actually, well, I don't really have any that much attachment to, but you know what? I do Ping now. Pong- Ping pong, elite level ping pong's great. Elite level ping pong after twelve smell of ices is absolutely sensational. <laughs> Fantastic. I've I've had Glastonbury cancelled on me twice. My Ooh. first ever Glastonbury. I've not I've never been before. I've pretty much done the entire festival circuit in the UK apart from Glasto. Last year was supposed to be my first Glasto, cancelled. This year was supposed to be my first gas, Glasto, cancelled. Rolling on to next year. I might be too old to go to Glastonbury by the time it's finished. <laughs> no, Glasto is one of the ones where you can go when you're like 60. Yeah, you have to glamp, you have to glamp though, won't you? Yeah. Yeah. I might have to be with all the like crusties on the hilltop with you're always like... welcome up there with us, mate. Uh, <laughs> thanks, mate. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah, very good, Sam. Well done. Um, that's a, a good gibberish. Um, and to be honest, I was going to keep this episode going, but I'm actually a bit worried for you and your fate. So I think you need to go and go and buy flowers and, and apologize because things don't sound like they're going too well for you after after yeah. that and, and the calls you've made. So without further ado, and on that bombshell, all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to Mr. Sam Ty. Good luck. Cheers, mate. (laughs) I've been Jack Collins. Thank you also to the brilliant Harry Brooks who joined us for our main ranking. It was uh, an honour and a pleasure as always. This has been Ranks FC. Please make sure you're still sharing the pod with anyone who might like it. You're still giving us ratings and reviews on iTunes if you haven't already. They all help the pods to grow. We'll be back next week uh, on Ranks FC. We'll be back on Friday for our ultras over on Patreon. If you haven't joined yet, it's still, it's still a great time to join. Lots of fun, lots of enjoyment to be had over on the Patreon. Uh, this has been Ranks FC. Thank you for listening as ever. Peace. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 